Are you in Romans 13? Great. Would you stand, please? And I'm going to read verses 8, 9, and 10, and we are going to go to work in the Scriptures, all right? Romans 13, 8, 9, and 10. Here we go. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us so well. God, you have loved us with an everlasting love. You've loved us while we were your enemies. You have demonstrated your love for us in sending Christ, our Savior. God, we are loved. Forgive us, Father, when we don't acknowledge that, when we don't live up to that, when we don't live that out. And God, I ask you to enable us today out of the fullness of what you've done for us, to shift our lives into investing in others. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. About um, the first five years that I was at Lincoln Avenue, there may be a couple people in this room that actually remember this, but I I didn't preach through books. So when I first came here, I, I was still kind of figuring out what, what it was going to look like for me to preach every Sunday. And basically what I did for the first several years anyway was I'd get in my office Monday and I'd start reading, you know. And I'd read a little here and I'd read a little here and I'd, you know, in my Bible reading and something would usually stir my heart. Like someone would pop out to me and I'm like, oh, wow, you know. And so I'd kind of start chasing that down and sometimes that'd work out or sometimes something else would come up in my course of study and and then I'd develop a sermon into it and I'd come Sunday and say open up your Bibles to you know this week it might be Isaiah next week it might be Malachi and next week it might be you know Philippians or Revelation or whatever and that that's just kind of the way my preaching ministry worked for several years now if I were still doing that we would not be preaching on loving your brother today Okay, now let me tell you why we wouldn't be preaching on it is because we just did this. <laughs> who of you remember it's like four weeks ago, right? When we were in Romans 12, we were in verse 9. And it says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. We spent a whole Sunday talking about loving your brother, okay? Now, let me tell you one of the benefits of preaching through books, which is what we do now. Like we're in the book of Romans, and for the, really for the last year we've been in the book of Romans, uh, minus the, the portion that we went through Isaiah. We took on a sweep, a quick sweep through Isaiah to take a break, but really, we've been in Romans for the last year. Now, let me tell you the benefit of that. First of all, we hit passages that you'd probably never, ever preach. So if it were just up to me, like, I don't know that Romans 14 has ever stirred my soul. Like, I've never read Romans 14 and been like, wow, that's a great passage. You know, all that, you know, weak brother, food stuff, you know, passing judgment, you know, I, 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 that just never happens. But because we're working through Romans... We're going to see that we need Romans 14, and we're going to explore it, okay? Now, the other thing, which I think even is the best thing, is it teaches us 
to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. Okay, now, here, here's, here's the way I am by nature. By nature, I'm like, well, man, I just heard a sermon on the love of God. I don't need to hear another one, okay? I mean, that, you know, that, that's the way we kind of work, you know? It's like, hey, I, I just read a passage on loving your brother, so I, I got it, okay? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. No, no, you don't have it, right? Uh, you, you need that more, okay? There are certain topics, there are certain themes, there are certain truths in the Bible that, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to hammer us over and over over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. How many of you read the little book, 1 John? Five chapters at the end of your Bible, 1 John. If you read 1 John, the love of God is going to come up. Guess how many times? Every chapter it's going to come up, right? You're, you're going to circle around to it. You're going to think that, that John has said everything he could say on loving your brother, and he's going to say more the next chapter. He's going to go on to something else. He's going to come back, back to it, okay? And, and so what we learn is there are certain things that need to be emphasized in the Scriptures. There are certain things that, that are so important that we need to look at them over and over again. And the love of God... The love of God in us for other people is one of those things, right? First John tells us this about God's love. First John 4, 7 and 8. How many of you learned this as a song? Anybody else learned this as a song? I learned it as a song as a kid. I'll have to teach it to you someday. Um, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, do you see how important that is it's telling us that if we don't have the love of god in us and coming out of us if the love of god is not coming out of us impacting other people around us then we don't know him right it is a defining characteristic of what it means to be a christian so that's pretty important and that's why the bible is going to hit it over and over again. So how does Paul hit it here in verse 8? Well, he says this. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, it would be great for us if we could go ahead and explore, you know, does this mean that we shouldn't go into debt? You know, he says, Oh, no man, anything. What does that mean about a mortgage? What does that mean about a car payment? What does that mean about all that? You know, that'd be great for us to do that today. We're not going to do that today because if we did that today, you'd be going like to 1230 and I've already, I was late getting here. And so we're, we're not going to do that. Um, I'll just tell you real quick what I think. I don't believe that it applies to appropriate debt. I, I believe that there are certain times when it's appropriate to go into debt in certain situations. We've got to be careful there. We've got to balance that with the book of Proverbs. But, but I don't think that Paul is necessarily talking about that. Here's what I think Paul is talking about. Paul is saying you always have a debt to love one another, okay? You always owe that, okay? So when you came in here this morning, you owed people love. Like, you owe it. Like, you know what, you know what it is to owe, right? Anybody? Yeah, I do, I do right? Uh, you probably do, right? You, you have a payment that you need to make, okay? The Bible is saying you always have a payment to make in loving one another. Now, we don't think that way by nature, okay? Let me tell you how we think by nature. We're going to come back to this over and over in this sermon. But here's what we think by nature. We think when people appropriately treat me, then I have a debt to pay to them. That's what we usually think, right? In fact, marriage counselors often use this 
And it's really not biblical, but, but it's, it's helpful. It's not, it's not a terrible thing, but it's really not what the Bible says. But marriage counselors will use the whole deposit and withdrawal system. Have you ever heard that? I heard a, a marriage speaker uh, go through that one time. He said, you need to make deposits in your marriage account, right? So in other words, I, I, need, to, I need to be caring for my wife and bringing her Diet Cokes and lemon waters. She likes those lemon waters from Sonic. And I need to be taking her out on a date. I need to be, you know, saying kind words so that when I want to go mountain mountain biking with Randall, then I'll be able to go, right? I'll be able to make a deposit, right? I mean, literally, that, that's the way that a lot of marriage gurus, they talk about you need to make deposits so that you can make withdrawals. You know, have you ever tried to make a withdrawal when you have any money in the account, okay, right? So if you're not making deposits in your account, then you can't make a withdrawal. Now, let me tell you what the Bible says, okay? So that's what marriage counselors say, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's smart. There's some wisdom to that, but let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says you always owe your spouse, like you always owe them. Like, like you never have, you never have a, 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 a surplus in there where you can just begin to take. No, you always owe. You always owe a debt of love. Not just to your spouse, also your kids. You owe, you're like, man, I've given plenty to them, you know. It's about time that I shut that off, right? right? No, the Bible actually says you, you owe a debt of love to your children. The Bible says you owe a debt of love to your neighbors. The Bible says you owe a debt of love to your church members. The Bible says you owe a debt of love to your, to your enemy even. We always owe love, okay? You never come to the point where you pay that off. Now, I just paid my mortgage this last week. On Wednesday... $386, I believe it was, was uh, taken out of my account. It's auto-withdrawed out of my account. And guess what? In two weeks, they're going to do it again. And in two weeks, they'll do it again. In two weeks, they'll do it again and again and again and again. Not this week, though, right? This week, no money's coming out of my account to the mortgage company. If it does, I'm going to be on the phone, right? I'm going to get cranky. I'm going to demand a refund because I am paid up. Okay, the Bible says you, you, don't, you can't look at love that way. You can't look at, well, you know, hey, I, I paid up my love, you know. Don't, don't look at it this way. So, so let's say you, you, you were with your family this morning, and your spouse woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and they're really cranky, and, and they acted terrible, and, and, and it was just terrible. But you love them anyway, right? So they're over there riling and waning and whining and whatever, you know, and just, just going to town, and you... Love them well this morning. Okay, now the way we might think about that is, all right, I loved you well this morning, all right, so you better straighten up this afternoon, okay, right? Because you remember what I did this morning, okay? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way we think is, okay, I paid my debt this morning, so I don't owe you this afternoon. This afternoon, you better let me take a nap, you know, because I, I paid this morning. That's not the way the Bible sees that. The Bible sees that is that we always have a debt of love, that everything you do, in fact, 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, do everything you do out of love, right? So as you leave here today, you're probably going to go get some lunch somewhere so some of you are going to cook, okay? If you cook lunch for your family, here's what you ought to do. Or for your neighbors or church members or whoever you have over, you ought to do that with a heart of love. Your motive ought to be love. Your operating principle ought to be love. If you go out to eat, then you ought to buy that supper or buy that lunch out of love. You ought to, you ought, you ought to do what you do out of love. If you have a conversation with friends or, or acquaintances, you ought to do that out of the operating principle of love. Everything that you do all day long, all afternoon, all evening ought to be done out of love. Now, what, what, what does that look like? Well, fortunately, we have a passage in the Bible that really gives us really clear guidelines. 1 Corinthians 13 says this is what love looks like in a very practical way, okay? So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is a great passage to use as a procedures manual for how you ought to treat every relationship in your life, right? And every relationship situation in your life, you ought to run through that. Man, I'm telling you, that is a life changer. If you'll just, before you do anything, say anything, if you'll just quickly run through that in your mind, this is how I need to operate in this relationship. So let's say this afternoon, what's on your plate is cleaning your seven-year-old's room with them, okay? So last night, you were going to put them to bed, and it was a little dark, and so you came in the room, and your one foot stepped on a poly pocket, and then your other foot stepped on a Tonka truck, and then you went down, and your hip got hit on the dollhouse, and and you're like, all right, enough, you know, tomorrow we're cleaning that room at two o'clock, all right? So that's what you got on your plate this afternoon. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to clean your room with your seven-year-old in love. You owe that to them. Now, see, we don't think that way, do we? We think they owe me. Who's paying the rent on the place, right? Who's paying the mortgage? Who's paying the electricity? Who bought the toys? Who gave you a room? You owe me. No, no, wait, 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 wait. The Bible says that you owe a debt of love, okay? So, so it's saying that whatever you do in relation with your seven-year-old needs to be done in love. So how does that look? Well, so you're going to clean with them. So love is, let's walk through this, patient and kind. What does that mean? It means you got to be patient with them. You know, you're going to need that. You know why? Because seven-year-olds, in general, do not clean very well, right? They're easily distracted, right? They pick up uh, one little doll, and they're like, I remember when Grandma gave me this. This is my favorite doll. And, you know, I don't know where the arm is. Mom, do you think you can? And you're like, we're cleaning. You know, come on, right? And so love is patient. Love is kind, right? We walk, we walk through this. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant, right? So, so probably the story you want to tell, this is the story I always want to tell, is while they're cleaning in their little bitty room here, you know, I want to tell them about how when I was seven, I had to clean a 10,000 foot warehouse with toxic chemicals running the skid steer loader, you know, and you can't keep your room clean, you know. Not only is it a lie, love doesn't lie, but love is not arrogant. It doesn't boast. It doesn't make people feel bad or less than or, or not superior, right? And, and so, so working through 1 Corinthians 13 helps me in a very practical way say this is what it looks like when I'm operating in love, all right? So love is the motive for all that we do. Now, the big question this morning, and this is the really important one, is why? Why? I think you're going to ask that, right? Because by nature, how do we operate? By nature, we operate according to the principle that when you treat me appropriately, when you treat me nicely, when you treat me as I think I ought to be treated, then I will treat you nicely, unless I'm in a bad mood, and then, you know, no, right? But that, I mean, that, that's the way we operate according to our flesh, okay? The whole world operates that way, all right? And so what I'm telling you is no. Paul says, 365 days a week, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be tough. 365 days a year, you didn't even catch it, did you? A year, you owe love. You owe that. You have a debt that you've got to pay to other people of love. Why? Why would Paul say that? Well, here's the reason. Because you've been loved, okay? You said, oh, hold on, Pastor, we just, we just talked about that. People don't always treat me well. In fact, I would say this is the truth. People normally don't treat us as we want to be treated. That's probably actually the truth, right? And by the way, do you know, do you know why that is? Sin. 
okay? Sin, we'll talk about that another day. But it's because everybody's sinners. And so they don't treat us as we ought to be treated. And so we're not loved as we want to be loved. And so what that results in most people's life is they don't spend their life investing in loving others because they don't feel that they've been loved well. Okay, but here, here's, here's the perspective of the Bible. The perspective of the Bible is you have been loved that well, okay? Maybe not by others, but you've been loved by God. God has, remember back in, okay, we're in Romans, right? Remember if we go back a few chapters in Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, remember this? And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, listen, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. All right, so Romans 5 tells us if you're in a relationship with Jesus, okay, if you've turned from your sin, put your faith in Christ, you've been joined to Jesus Christ, and what happened then is God poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We have it, okay? So there's not a born-again believer in this room that can't say they haven't been loved because you have been loved. You've been loved incredibly well, all right? You have been filled with love and that God has put his Holy Spirit in you. And that is, that is the power by which you now go and love others, okay? Remember what we've been operating under in this Romans 12? chapter, Romans 12 and 13. Uh, so first 11 chapters of Romans, we're all about what God has done, who he is, how awesome he is, how glorious he is. And then all of a sudden, chapter 12, it's like, all right, how do we respond? Remember? And chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember that? All right. And so we've talked about that. What, what fuels our giving ourselves as a living sacrifice to God? We stand in the mercy of God. Right now, you are sitting in the mercy of God. Right now, you are surrounded. If you're a believer, I'm talking to believers. If you're a believer, you're surrounded by the mercies of God. So what has God done? He has poured his love into your heart. He surrounded you and immersed you in his mercy. Okay? That's what God has done for you. Now, let me ask you, how good is that? How much has God loved you? A lot. So much so. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you know how much God loves you? Everybody's afraid to answer. Trick question. Do you know how much God loves you? Well, trick question, because you do know that if you're a believer, you do know that God loves you, because that's, that's why you responded to the gospel, right? Because Christ, Christ came to die for your sins. Do you know how much? The answer to that is actually no. You do not know. You, your, your mind can't get around it, okay? You don't have a big enough engine up here and in here to actually get a hold of that. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 3 tells us, and I want you to follow this passage very carefully, okay, because this is going to help us, help us see what, what Paul is asking us to do. So, so Ephesians 3.17 says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. Okay, so, so what's he saying? You're rooted, you're planted, you're grounded, your foundation is love, Okay. And then he says in verse, nine, in verse 18, that you may have the strength. Okay, when do you need strength? You need strength when you're weak, right? When you lack it. You don't have enough power. You don't have enough gumption. You don't have enough oomph, right, to do what he's calling you to do here. So he says that you may have strength to comprehend. That happens here and here. Comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. And then he says this, that surpasses knowledge. It, it's too much. Okay, and so when we think about 
Bonnie Castor. She's up here a lot leading music, so I think you all know her. Okay, so when we think about Bonnie, Bonnie's a believer. I've heard her testimony. She, she's a Christian, okay? And so what that means, she's been joined to Jesus. She, she's seen what Christ did for her on the cross, and she's put her faith in him. All right, and she's walked with Jesus for decades now. And so in asking the question, does Bonnie know how much God loves her? She, she knows Okay, so when she got saved, maybe she knew this much. And then as she walked with Jesus, she's known more. And as she's experienced his blessing, she's, she knows more. And as she's experienced his faithfulness, she knows more. And as she's read the Bible for decades, she knows more. And as she's seen answered prayers, she knows more. But here's, here's the reality. Bonnie knows this much of, of how much God loves her. But is that all there is to God's love? Actually, no. Paul is saying it, it, it goes beyond our capacity to know. Like God has loved us in ways. God has poured out his riches and his goodness and his mercy and his benefits and his blessings in ways that we don't even comprehend. And then we've got to pray, God, show me more of it. Give me more. Show me more. Help me to comprehend all that you have done for me in Christ and how you have loved me. And so the Bible is saying God loves us in that way. Now, so Paul says, God, show us. How much you love us, it surpasses knowledge. And then look at the last phrase there, verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All right, so are you you following that reasoning? So here here we are. God, I believe, I've trusted you, I've put my faith in you, I know you love me, I know you love me right here. And God, I pray, help me to know how much you love me more and more and more and more and more. Because as I know more and more and more of how much you love me, it says, then I am filled with the fullness of God. Now, what do you suppose it means to be full with the fullness of God? What are you full of? I, th- I think you're, you're full of his love for you, right? Now, what, what did we talk about in 1 John 4? We talked about how God is love, right? God is love. And, 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 and he has loved us in Christ. And so the more you understand and know of his love, the more you are filled with the fullness of God. All right, so, so when we're filled with the fullness of God, then what do we do? We, we're able to love others well. This is really not a, a new concept for us because we've, we've looked at it in Romans before in chapter 1, okay? This is going to be hard for you to remember because it happened a long time ago, about a year ago is when we started Romans. And when we were working through chapter 1, chapter 1, Paul talks about how much he's been given and how, how God has shown grace to him and how God has, has given him this calling and this mission in his life. And, and, and so, so he says in, at, the, at the end of that section in, in chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I am under obligation. Now, it's one of the Bibles that I used to use. It was either New American Standard or the New King James. Some of you may have one of those Bibles, and so you could tell me. But, but it says, I'm a debtor. Okay, that, that's the way it phrases it. I'm a debtor. Okay, but, but the ESV says, I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And, and so Paul, when he's talking about going to Rome, he's talking about making that trip to Rome to see the believers and all the risk he's going to take. He says, I'm doing it because I have a debt to pay. I, I have a debt of the gospel. I have been given the gospel. I have been given the love of God. I've been given the riches of salvation. I've been given the, the, the truths of who Christ is for me. And therefore, I am under obligation to share that with others. 
Not, not because the world had given him anything, because of what Christ had given him. So, so here's, what, here's what Romans 13 is saying. Because Jesus has loved you so well, because he's poured his love into your hearts, because he's graciously, Romans 8, 31 through 35 says, he has graciously given us all things. Because of that, we love others. Always. That's, that's the principle that we live by. You see, we don't, we don't live by the principle that if you treat me well, then I will treat you well. We don't live by that anymore. We live by the principle that God has treated me fantastically above all that I could even imagine. And therefore, I will treat you well. That's the principle of the New Testament. If you read through 1 John, one of the things I would encourage you to take notice of, I got some of these circled in my Bibles, is the little word ought, O-U-G-H-T, ought. And so listen to how John uses it, okay? So 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So you see that? Christ has laid down his life for us, so we ought to to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 4, 11, or 4, uh, yeah, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do, do you see the way John reasons? He reasons that God has treated us in this way. Therefore, we respond by treating others in the way that God has treated us. See, the way that we want to work it in our minds sometimes is, well, God has treated me fantastically well, so I'm going to treat him well but those suckers across the street, man, they're not getting anything from me. Okay, now see, if you remember, that doesn't work right, right? Because Jesus told us, how do we love him? We love him by loving his people, the least of these, our neighbor, the world, right? And, and so, so the, the, the new principle that we live by is that God has loved us, and so we have a debt of love to pay to others. All right, so you're at Walmart this afternoon. I'm sorry for you. See, I won't be at Walmart this afternoon. If I need to go to Walmart, I'll send Haddon or Addie or someone else, okay? But I don't have to go. But you're going to be there, right? So you're in your cart, and there you're going. You're going to get your cereal, and you, you go by the cereal aisle. And, it, you know, man, our minds are miraculous things. You know how fast they work? So out of the corner of your eye, you see your neighbor, okay? Now, in a millisecond, here's how cool our minds are. In a second, what goes through your mind is something like this. Something like, last time I saw them, they were all snooty and acted like they didn't even know me. Right? It goes through your mind that fast, okay? Just in a second, that pops through your mind. And all of a sudden, what do you do? I think I'm going to go get dog food first, right? And you go the other way, right? And you go down that other aisle to go get dog food. Now, why, why are you going down the other aisle? Well... Here's what you didn't do, okay? You didn't look down to your kids and you say, kids, we need Fruit Loops. We're not going to go get them right now because our neighbors are down there and they act all snooty. And so I don't want to go down there because they haven't treated us nice. So let's go get dog food first. You didn't say that, did you? No, because you're Christian people, right? You just, you just, it happened in your mind so fast. You're like, dog food, right? And, and you're like, why? Because the operating principle of your life is what? It is when people treat me appropriately, then I will respond in treating others appropriately. Okay, see that? That's out. Okay, what we're doing today is we're saying that no longer applies to us as believers. There is a new operating principle. There is a new way of, of, 
of, of looking at the world. And that way of looking at the world is God has loved me beyond my greatest imagination. I cannot even fathom the goodness of God poured out into my life. I will for an eternity be experiencing the benefits and blessings of how God has loved me in Christ Jesus. And because I am filled to the full of the love of God, I'm going to love others well. So here's how it looks in the new way of thinking, okay? Going down Walmart, going to that Fruit Loops, see that person, that neighbor, snooty last time. We pause, but then we remember. God has loved me well. God has poured out his riches upon me. Right? You're going by the, the frosted flakes now, you know? God has, has given me an heir. I'm an heir with Jesus Christ, right? Now you're to those health cereals that you don't buy any of. You're like, you know what? Christ has forgiven me. I was a jerk to him. And he's poured out his grace and kindness on me over and over you're almost to him. And what are you thinking? You're thinking for all eternity, God is going to send his riches into my life. Hey, how are you, neighbor? You see how that works? It's, it's a new way of operating. Based on not what they've done, but based on what Christ has done for us. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this because we need to get trucking here. But, but, but I just want to remind you of what we looked at in chapter 12, okay? In chapter 12, when we looked at verses 9 and 10, we looked, we looked mainly at, at two, two, two points. That the love that we are to show for one another is both brotherly affection and practical deeds, okay? I just want to remind you of that because chapter 12 obviously shows us we are to love one another with brotherly affection. God wants us to have genuine affection, sincere affection for people. And, and then it's also rooted in practical deeds. If you remember in 1 John, we're told over and over again that if you don't, if you don't act, then it's not really love. So, so 1 John 3.16 we had to lay down our lives for the brothers. Verse 17, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not live in word and talk, but in deed and truth. And so it is both of those, okay? So I just want to remind you of what love looks like practically, okay? Now, next point, okay? Next point that Paul makes, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Okay, so, so you know what the law is, right? The law is God's commandments, right? He, he wants us to live this way toward our brother, right? We, we know the Ten Commandments. So how should we treat our brother? Well, we shouldn't commit adultery, and we shouldn't murder, and we shouldn't lie, and we shouldn't covet, and we shouldn't steal, and you know, all, you, you know the commandments uh, one to another. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, you know what? We don't need those anymore when we have the love of God. Because when we have Christ's love in us, when we've embraced his love, and we are pouring that out in the lives of others, we will live out that law. We'll live it out. Now, here's what's interesting. Let me walk through these with you because I, I want to show you this. Love, when you love somebody, you don't commit adultery. That's the first one. You see that? You should not commit adultery. Now, here's what I think is interesting about that. I, I've, I've talked to many people in the world who don't believe that, okay? Let, let, me, let me tell you their reasoning, Okay. I've talked to lots of folks who marriage is breaking up, they're in another relationship, and they're, they're, they're telling me why they are living this way. And here's what they say. They'll say something about their spouse, 
Something like, my spouse is the worst person ever. You know, they're a mixture between Charles Manson and Ted Bundy. You know, I mean, they're just, they're, they're horrible. You wouldn't know, Pastor, how, how t- horrific and terrible my, my spouse is. But this new person that I met, oh, they're an angel from heaven, Pastor. I mean, they're, they're nothing but sweet goodness and Pop-Tart and, and suckers all rolled up into one. You know, they are nothing but awesome. And I love them. And because I love them, that's why I've entered into a relationship with them. Okay, now, here's what I have to tell those people. No, you don't love them. Oh, things get feisty then, I'm telling you. That, that's not, that is not a welcome thing, okay? But, but I tell you, I say, you don't love them. They don't love you. Okay, you don't love them and they don't love you. And here's why. Because this just said, that, it, that, that, that all the commandments are wrapped up in you love your neighbor as yourself. And verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. If you love one another, you won't commit adultery. You just won't do it. Now, now why is that? Because love, verse 10, does no wrong to a neighbor. And adultery causes another person to sin against God. It puts them at odds at God. Now, if I love you, why would I want you to be at odds with God? I wouldn't, would I? If I love you, I want your best interest. That's what it means to love somebody. Is, is I, want, I want the best for you. I want you to be built up. I want you to, I want you to know God. I want you to love God. I want you to have his riches. I, I, I want you to be blessed. But adultery takes that away. Adultery takes away a person's purity. Adultery takes something that doesn't belong to you. It takes something from that person that you have a sexual relationship with, from their spouse, from their future spouse, if they're not married, or from your spouse, or if you're not married, your future spouse, or from their kids or your kids. Adultery tears up families. It often leads to divorce. It often leads to children not growing up with a mother or father in the same house. It often always leads to conflict and quarreling and strife, and sometimes court and custody battles and bitterness and unforgiveness. It soils a person's reputation, ruins their good name with their family and with their community and their church. And so If you love somebody, you're not going to do that. You're going to say no to your sinful desires because you seek the highest good of that person if you love them. If you love them, you want them to be blessed. If you love them, you want them to prosper. If you love them, you want them to have the riches of Christ. You want to protect them from harm. And so you'll say no to your sinful desires. See, that's what Paul is saying there. He gives a couple other examples. Some of them seem really obvious, like the next one, you know, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, okay? So if you love somebody, you don't kill them, all right? That, that's pretty clear, right? Uh, but, but maybe we could go a little further and remember what, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5? Jesus said in Matthew 5 that if you are angry and harbor resentment in your heart against your brother, you are what? Murdering them in your heart, right? Now, if you love somebody, you don't, you don't do that. You, 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 don't, you don't want to hurt them. You don't want them to suffer and pay. You want, you want to do them good. You shall not steal is the next one Paul mentions. So if you love people, you, you don't want to take from them. You want to give to them. How about the next one? You shall not covet. Okay, that's in verse 9. Now, now I think with this one, there will be people who try to, who try to say, you know what? I can, I can inside, like where nobody sees, in my heart, in my mind, I can, I can want somebody's life. I, I can look at them and be like, ah. I wish I had their life. I wish I had their health. I wish I had their marriage. I wish I had their family. I wish I had their kids. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their job. Ah, I'm so disappointed with my life, and I want theirs. And we think we can do that in our heart and in our mind, and then when we're around them, we're like, hey, how are you? And it'd be okay. 
Let me tell you, folks. When your heart is not right towards someone, your life will eventually not be right with them. Your actions will eventually not be right with them. When your heart is not to do them good, but to have their good, then you're not loving them. Jesus said something interesting in Matthew 15. He said this. He said in verse 19, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. Where does that come from? Out of the heart. Okay, now, now he said in another place, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I know this from the Scriptures, but I'll, I'll just be honest. I know this from... Jason Dirks's personal experience, okay? I've, I've, as your pastor, I have tried this out extensively, and it does not work, and so I want, I want to help you out, okay? I'm a stuffer, right? So what that means is, like, when people are not good to me or when they say things, you know, I have the ability to just stuff that down deep, and you can't ever see it on the outside. I just be, like, pleasant, nice, and smiling, you know, and all good, Okay, but here's what, here's what I've figured out. It's going to come out. Like, I don't care how deep you stuff it, that will come out. When your heart is not right, your life, your actions will eventually not be right. In some way, you will not love people well when your heart is not right to them. And so you can see why, why Paul says, you shall not covet. Well, that's fulfilled when you love people. If you love people, you won't covet. If you love people, you won't have a bad heart toward them. And so in that way, love is a fulfillment of law. Now, final thing here, and I know we're almost out of time, but let me, let me get this in. Okay, so he says at the end of verse 9, he goes through those commandments, and then he says, and any other commandment, and then he says they're summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. Okay, now, you've heard me say this before, we all already love ourselves, okay? At least once a month. It doesn't happen once a week. There was a time where it happened all the time. But at least once a month, I still have people coming to me and saying, Pastor, what I really need to do is be able to love myself. You know, if I, if I can just love myself, then I can love others. And I just and shake my head, you know? Because we all already do that. We are experts at loving ourselves, okay? Now, now I, we don't always like ourselves, right? Do you have things about yourself you don't like? Obviously, probably yes, you know? I do. I was, I was playing basketball out in my front yard yesterday. Me and I was teaching Colt to dribble and shoot, and we're playing out there, and Emma was out there, and she said, Honey, bend down. And I was like, I bent down. She's standing like three foot from me. I bent down, and she's like, Oh, okay. She goes, I, I, there's, a, there's a spot on your head, and I just, I, but it's just a freckle. I, I, and I was like, Well, do you need to part my hair and look at it? And she's like, No, I can see it. And I was like, Well, I said, You can see it from there? And she said, Yeah. I had, to, I had to take a selfie. I took my phone out and I put it up here, you know, and I, and I took it. Ah! You know. We don't always like everything about ourselves, right? Sometimes we have stuff in our past that we're not real proud of. You still love yourself, don't you? I do. How? Here's how we love ourselves. We aim for our good. Right? We aim for our good. 
By nature, we look out for ourselves. By nature, we build up ourselves. By nature, we strive to make ourselves look good. By nature, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. By nature, we work toward our succeeding and our prospering. Now, I know sometimes we, we, we self-destruct. Do you know people like that who like self-destruct all the time? Does that mean they don't love themselves? No. Most of the time, it means they love themselves too much, Right? So the person who's at their job, right, they got a good job, and then the boss is like mean to them or unfair with them, and they blow up and throw this huge fit, and I won't take it, and they march off and they get fired. You're saying, well, see, they didn't love themselves. They, they had a great job, and they, they, they sabotaged themselves. No, they loved themselves too much. They could not bear the thought of being disrespected. So they, in protection of their own honor, they're willing to lose their job. All that is is self-love. You see, we all already love ourselves. And so what's the Bible saying here? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's saying with the same energy and the same effort that you use to take care of yourself, you should do the same for others. There is a particular verse simply about marriage along these lines. So in Ephesians 5, 29, let me start with 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Then verse 29 says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes. Did you hear that? No one ever hated his own flesh. No one. The Bible's telling you that. No, no, one, no one hates himself. Sometimes we, we hate what we've done. We hate the consequences. We hate the mess we're in. We hate the pickle we're in. But here's what it says but we nourish and cherish it just as Christ does the church. And so when people are hungry, what do they do? Find a snack, right? When, when, when people are bored, what do they do? They look for their phone, right? They find something to do, right? When, when people are tired, what do they do? Look for a nap, right? Find, go to bed. When they're scared, what do they do? Well, we're adamant about getting out of danger, right? So we all already love ourselves in the sense that we look toward our good. Now, here's what the Bible's saying. With the same effort and the same energy and the same intensity, you should look to your neighbor's good. Now, friends, 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 listen. This is a life changer, okay? This is a life changer because here's what's happening. All over our world, okay, in Oklahoma, in the United States, in India, in Madagascar, in Japan, everywhere in the world, here's what's happening. People are spending their lives, their, their time, their, their, their efforts, their energy, their schedule, their, all of that, they're spending all of that in an all-out pursuit of their own good, okay? Now, now, the problem with that is when you spend your time and your energy and efforts for your own good, you're not really having any time or energy or efforts to love others. Now, you say, hold on. There's lots of people that are good to their kids. Why are they good to their kids? Is it, is it out of a great love for children and getting the gospel to children? Most of the time, no. It's our kids are an extension of us, right? And, and we, don't want, we, we want them to not make us look bad, right? And, and we, to some degree, live through their successes. And, and so there's a lot of people who will, will pour tons of time and energy and effort into their own children. But what is that ultimately? That's I'm loving myself, right? You say, well, you know, but, but some people, it's all for self. 
But listen, here's what the Bible's calling you to do. When you, when you live investing all your time and your energy and your resources in yourself, your life is too busy for others. You can't love people well. And, and so, so here's what the Bible's calling you to do. Take a huge face step and turn that time, turn that energy, turn that money, turn those resources into loving other people. Now, now here's the reality. All those people I just told you about who are spending themselves for their own good, guess what? They're not finding it. They're dying and someone's doing their funeral and they never found it. They never found the joy they were looking for. They never found the happiness. They never found the real contentment. And so what Jesus is telling you to do here is, is turn it around. Take a face step to turn the effort and the money and the time and the resources that you'd be pouring into yourself and for Jesus' sake, Pour that into others. Uh, How do we do that? By radical faith that God's going to take care of me. Right? Remember where we've been? God has loved me. Has he not loved me? Has he not loved you? Has he not poured out his riches in your life? Has he not poured out his blessings in your life? Has he not joined you to Jesus? Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God didn't spare his own son, how will he not also give us all things? He's taking care of me. So I can take this radical leap of faith and I can shift my time and my energy and my efforts and my resources toward the good of others. Trusting that God will take care of me. Could it be that that is the real secret to joy? Wouldn't it be something if Jesus was right? That that's where life is? And we got a world full of people that they never find it because they, they don't have time because all their life is spent on their own good in one way or another. Listen to how John opens up the book of 1 John. This is chapter 1. In verse 3, he says, he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about how they saw Jesus and heard Jesus and experienced Jesus. And so he says in verse 3, that which we've seen, talking about Jesus, and heard, talking about Jesus, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, you hear what John's saying? He's saying, man, we saw who Jesus is. We heard who Jesus is. And we've experienced, we now have fellowship with Jesus. And we want you to have that. Man, we are all in on you having what we have. We want to pour our lives out so that you'll hear and see and know what we hear and see and know about Jesus. And then this next verse. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our, what? You see, you don't expect that, do you? You know, a lot of times we think, I want to tell you about Jesus so that you can have joy. I want to tell you about Jesus so that you can have life. John actually says something different. He says, man, we've seen Jesus. We've heard Jesus. We've experienced fellowship with the Father. And we want you to have that. And we're writing to you. We're telling you this. So that our joy would be complete. That's interesting, isn't it? And so, church, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take a face step today. Okay? Big picture. Here it is. If you're a believer, you've been loved more than you could ever imagine. You, you got, you're full. You're full and overflowing, and and there's more flowing in than you will ever be able to comprehend, okay? And because that's true, 
Now we are able to shift our lives and begin to love others out of what God has put in us. And the Bible's saying, as we do that, we'll find the life of Christ. We'll find the joy of Christ. We'll find the peace of Christ. It's face step. Everything in us. And man, don't we have to battle this every day? Everything in us is wanting to pull back and take care of us. And the Bible's saying, trust me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Father, I pray that you would enable us to take this face step today. God, I ask you to uh, just do the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Begin to convict us, God, of ways that we've not loved well, ways that we've held back affection and care and ministry from others. I pray, God, that you would just uh, reveal to us, show us, open our eyes to see how much you have loved us and how well you have loved us. And Father, I pray that you would enable us to turn this afternoon to love others well. 